0: You are listening to the Health Disparities Podcast, a program of Movement is Life. Thank you for joining us today and for being a subscriber to the podcast. Movement is Life aims to be a catalyst for change to develop programs that move the needle on critical factors driving healthcare disparities. We believe we must find ways to make an impact now through programs such as this podcast, Operation Change, and our annual caucus. My name is Mary Behrens, and I'm your host for this episode. I'm a Family Nurse Practitioner, or NP, based in Casper, Wyoming. It's a beautiful place to live. We have diverse populations, including indigenous communities and we have experienced the challenges that come with rural health care here. Wyoming actually is the smallest uh, populated state in the union. I'm a member of the Movement is Life Steering Committee where I have been committed to the continued efforts that nurse practitioners are making across the country to address health inequities. Today, our special guest is Dr. April Capu. She is the current president of the American Association of Nurse Practitioners or AANP. Dr. Capu has 30 years of experience in healthcare and 18 years as an acute care nurse practitioner. She has committed her career to advancing NP-delivered care and increasing access to NP care across all settings and she holds both a master's and a doctoral degree in nursing from Vanderbilt University School of Nursing. Currently, Dr. Kapo is Associate Dean for Clinical and Community Partnerships, Vanderbilt University School of Nursing, with oversight for several nurse-led community practices. And she is Professor of Nursing and teaches in Vanderbilt's Doctor of Nursing Practice, or DNP, program. She is also active member of the Tennessee Nurses Association and has served as past chair for the Tennessee Government Affairs Committee and the Tennessee APRN Committee and represented Tennessee NPs on the Tennessee Governor's Special Commission focused on pain and addiction treatment education. Dr. Kapo has received several awards also, including But not limited to Vanderbilt's Transformational Nurse Leader of the Year and Tennessee's Hospital Association Nurse of Clinical Distinction. I have known Dr. Capu for many years, and so it's a real pleasure to welcome you here to to this podcast. Uh, So, welcome, Dr. Capu, and wow when I was reading all that you have done. (laughs)
1: Wow. Well, thank you, Mary. You know, your uh, bio is probably millions of pages long. I have so much respect for you, and I'm delighted to be able to be here and spend some
0: time speaking with you today. We are just so, so pleased to have you. And, you know, I'm so glad you could join us. But I also uh, was so thrilled that you could come to our annual caucus in November in D.C., So maybe you could share how was that experience for you to come to the caucus?
1: Well, first of all, I was thrilled when you asked if I could go because I had not heard much about it. And um, so I was excited. I was excited to see you and I was excited to hear more about it. And I think there were two things that I was really impressed by. And one was the interprofessional nature. Everybody had a voice in that room. Everybody was working together, whether it was a nurse, a physician, a surgeon, everybody was working together um, on conversation, all focused on really health equity and uh, the reduction of healthcare disparities. And it was just a really great feeling to be uh, in that room and feel that positive vibe. It made me feel it made me feel like, uh, so you mentioned I'm an acute care nurse practitioner, my background's in the ICU. It made me feel like one of those days in the ICU when we're all working together and every voice is important and everybody has a perspective, a unique and expertise that they're bringing. So it might be the nurse telling uh, us what happened overnight. It might be the surgeon telling us what happened in the OR. It might be me as an NP uh, sharing the different discussions I've had with the consultants and whatnot, but every voice uh, mattered at that caucus. And I thought that was really impressive. And then the second thing, uh, movement is life, is that you actually moved a lot (laughs) during that conference. I was really impressed. So when you walked into the room, it was your typical conference. You had the tables and the chairs and whatnot. But you were up moving, dancing in the intermissions. We had fantastic uh, groups come up. It was very mindful. Um, So there was a lot of movement happening actually at the caucus. So you walked uh, the talk, so to speak, um, that day. And so that was impressive as well.
0: Well, I, I I would totally agree with your comments. I think it's so important as nurses and nurse practitioners that we are a part of a team, and each of us has a role to play. And it to make it all work, we have to communicate and work together. And uh, yes, movement is life, and it 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 is good to see people moving. And and we have so much research today that that is key that being a couch potato is not necessarily the healthiest thing to be doing in your life. So I'm just, again, so glad you could come. And I really want to congratulate you on being the AANP president. And I'm not sure people realize that there are over 350,000 nurse practitioners in this nation. So you represent a huge uh, population of Healthcare providers, and, and in a wide, wide array of uh, a range of practice settings. So I'm sure in this job you've probably been doing some things that you would not normally do, but at the same time, I I, I feel that in some of the uh, health equity related aspects, that you have um, probably taken home some experiences that. Um, are 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 quite eventful in, in in being able to share with us what it is to be a nurse practitioner in the United States.
1: Ah, yeah, well, it's definitely been a, a honor to be the president of AANP, and P, but it's been a very humbling experience as I have been able to travel around and and meet so many nurse practitioners and really get to know what they do on a day-to-day basis. I know I came and visited you not too long ago, but have been just kind of crisscrossed the US and spent so much time with so many amazing NPs who've been practicing. For years and just absolute trailblazers when it comes to building um, our profession, but also increasing access to care for everyone, everywhere. And I've met a lot of new NPs and seen them with their shining eyes and excited and ready to go and conquer the world. And I feel uh, very confident Uh, in the next generation. So it has definitely been a humbling experience. Uh, It's a lot more than I ever anticipated. You know, you never know what a role or position is going to be until you're actually in it. And um, so I have done a lot that I had not thought I would do. I've been able to host a podcast and be on podcasts like we're on today. But Lots of interviews, that's not something that I did uh, very much as a nurse practitioner or even as an associate chief nursing officer, uh, interviews and the TV and media. Uh, That's something I learned a little bit more about. Um, Was able to go to the White House on several occasions. And that was very uh, meaningful uh, to be able to be there with uh, so many people that represented different uh, aspects of healthcare. Each time I've been, it's about something uh, related to healthcare, and it's always about access to care. So that has been uh, very special. It's been wonderful to visit students at lots of different universities and meet with faculty and hear what their concerns are and what what their needs are. So it it has definitely been a whirlwind. Uh, lots of travel, but uh, just an experience. I wouldn't trade for the world. Um, I have definitely chosen right in a profession and absolutely love supporting every single one of those (laughs) 355,000 NPs. And you mentioned that, you know, we've got an anticipated growth rate of over 10% over the next 10 years or not over 46%, actually, Mary, over the next 10 years. So we're in high demand. Um, we need more healthcare workers of every type, um, to be able to address the needs that we have in healthcare today.
0: And so bringing up students too, we, like you said, our growth has been huge. Are we graduating around 36,000 now or
1: more? In the 30,000s. Yeah. You got that right. And, um, But we need more, we need more uh, nurses, we need more NPs. Like I said, we need more of every type of healthcare profession, but when it comes to nursing, which is our um, focus is it's, we need a lot more Mm -hmm. Um, and we need to diversify our workforce. We need to build our workforce uh, because we have tremendous challenges today. If you go to the Hrsa.gov website, um, you'll see there are over 99 million Americans that lack access to primary care services, the very basics, and health promotion, chronic disease management, immunizations, screenings, the basics.
0: Mm-hmm. Over
1: 99 million Americans,
0: and, and that's that's huge. And I, I I think that is something that certainly the nurse practitioners have certainly focused on in the sense that we have had a large number that have gone into primary care. Now we have nurse practitioners that are obviously in, in wonderful specialty areas, I don't want, but um, nurse practitioners have filled the gap in primary care, certainly, because there have been a lack of, of uh, physicians going into primary care. And, and this has definitely been a, a pattern.
1: We need providers of every type, of all specialties and everywhere. And about 89% of nurse practitioners are primary care. Um, We do, like you mentioned earlier, we have nurse practitioners in every setting, uh, urgent care, emergency, hospitals, specialty care, um, but uh, primary care is the largest sector.
0: And when I think we talk about healthcare equity, I think it's important to understand that nurse practitioners, uh, when we think about uh, the minute clinics and pharmacies where nurse practitioners, it's how, how do you reach people in an area perhaps that don't have access to healthcare and there's not a hospital nearby? Maybe a nurse practitioner is working in a local pharmacy and people are buying their groceries and at the same time can get their immunizations or... Uh, have a health consult and
1: right. uh, and not wait until the last moment and have to go to the urgent care, or the emergency room. And that's what we've seen with more and more nurse practitioners working out in the communities. Um, we are seeing less, um, less impact to the emergency room because they're providing their regular chronic disease management. You know, when I came to see you in Wyoming, it was wonderful, but I uh, first time I'd been to Wyoming, by the way, uh, absolutely beautiful state, amazing people. Every single person you meet is not there not there's not a stranger there. It's everyone is welcoming. and um, but it it was really neat to see that there were so many nurse practitioners that worked out on the ranches, that worked with, you know, uh, there was hundreds of miles before you could get to a hospital. And they were so well-respected and they were the providing the care for everyone in that community. And they were well-respected by everybody on the team. We went to uh, Sundance where we saw Wesley Davis and uh, Christina, and they work there at the Crook County Hospital. And um, they were in the ED and they talked about when they pick up the phone and they call one of the other hospitals and say, we have a transfer. They know that's a transfer that needs to happen. Uh, Because they're so they're so well respected, but we're not just seeing that in Wyoming, we're seeing that everywhere. So I just got back from El Paso, just today, just a couple hours ago, I went to El Paso yesterday, first time I've been there, Mm -hmm. and uh, visited with faculty and students at the University of uh, Texas in El Paso and several nurse practitioners that worked in that community and they also work not only in El Paso but work in in New Mexico and the surrounding areas but one of the things they have they they have this big RV it's a big long big RV they say it you know they have to work on it all the time to keep it running but it is literally a mobile clinic that they drive out to really um rural communities and they take the healthcare to the community, to the kids, to the families, to the children uh, so that they can get their blood pressure checked, their glucose checked. They can get those screenings and that regular management. And that's what we're seeing. It's it's more and more, Are we are moving healthcare to where the people are, meeting them where they are, whether that's telehealth, mobile clinics, seeing people in the home. Um, it's, it's moving away from the brick and border in the big city out to where everyone is throughout every community
0: right and that's that's so important um when when you think about the great distances and i i'm sure when i think about you know texas is another huge state but
1: big state some,
0: right a hospital could be more than 100 miles away and sometimes oh, yeah. that's, that's hard for that concept to uh to to understand and so if we can bring the healthcare closer um It means it means a great deal,
1: great deal. And you know, I was um, just thinking. I I, um, actually was in Hawaii um, a couple months ago, and uh, was meeting with Deb Mateus. She's a pediatric nurse practitioner background, but she and sixteen other nurse practitioners and about hundred nurses have this program where they provide uh, a health clinic in the school. Mm -hmm. Um, in in elementary schools throughout the islands. And so there's a nurse at every one of these schools or at many of the schools and they um, work via telehealth with the nurse practitioner. If the nurse practitioner is not located at that school, they work via telehealth and they've got some incredible technology and equipment that they use. But for many of those children throughout Hawaii, throughout the islands, this is their healthcare. Mm -hmm. This is their healthcare. This is uh, when they're coming in and things are being uh, seen not only physically but maybe they uh, need to see a psych mental health nurse practitioner. Um, so this is their healthcare. This is their engagement with healthcare on a regular
0: basis. And that's really excellent because with complex problems and with telehealth, you can you can bring in a specialist, perhaps via telehealth that might not be possible at all any other way that uh, a person could get that kind of specialty care so that's that's really exciting and i think hawaii is a good example of something that's so isolated in the ocean and yet they have developed their own answers in a in a sense because they can't get a lot of uh you know it's a long distance basically to the to the mainland of the (laughs) you know california so they have to be very self-sufficient
1: well, and and it's culture too, right? It's culture and what you've learned, and and uh, for the Hawaiian culture, m- much of healthcare is um, you cared for within your own family, and um, much of that um, uh, has been passed down from generations. So it's not common to just hop in the car, make a, an appointment, and go and get a checkup. That that uh, so you there's cultures, there're different backgrounds, language can be a barrier. And uh, so that's why it's important for us to take all these different social determinants of health, the social construct in which different people live, they work, they they breathe, how they have transportation or not, um, their background. That's all very important when we start talking about healthcare care and being engaged in your health care.
0: Right. And I, I think one of the important aspects that I think about nurse practitioners is you are a nurse first, but I think our whole background and training is in um, prevention and preventing disease and education. And if we can, if we can make a difference there um, and prevent someone from having to go to the emergency room or to the hospital. Um, that
1: that makes is- all the difference, right? Yeah. I, you know, uh, Mary, when I was, yeah, let's see, my husband, and I've been married for about, I think we're almost at 35 years. But when we were young and first married and our kids were small, we lived in Hawaii Mm. and uh, we didn't have a lot of money. We were struggling. We were um, both working, just trying to make sure we had the very basics. And I remember it was a nurse, I remember it clear as day. It was a nurse in a community clinic that told me about something that you think that everybody would know about, and certainly many people do, but it was the WIC program the women's infant and children program. And I, that was probably the best thing I could have heard as a young mom worried so much. And especially with costs of living there being so high, uh, getting milk and, uh, cereal and formula and things like that. It was not easy. And it was a nurse that, um, said, how are you getting these things? Let me help you. These are the types of things that come to mind uh, for nurses is, how do you get your medications? How are you getting the right foods? And how are you getting um, those things that improve your health and help you live a healthier life?
0: Right. Uh, and, and just as a practicing when I'm nurse practitioner, I mean the cost of medications are huge. And so you're you become very aware of those costs. And um you're not gonna prescribe some medication that's going to, I mean, there's huge. Uh, you know, like deductibles and things like that, but medicines can cost fifteen hundred dollars a month. Uh, and I learned early on: first of all, you aren't going to prescribe something like that. Nobody's going to be able to, to pay for that if they don't have insurance. And so you're always kind of calling the pharmacist and seeing what is the cheapest, what's what's off label. Am- can we can we get something that's that will work as well that 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 is cost effective and Also, if you could find any free medicine, of course, that's not so easy today. But um, even um, I remember giving out samples and would save those for specific patients that I knew could not afford to get their medications.
1: Well, you know, you bring up something that's not, um, we don't talk about this all the time and it's not in all of our articles and different things that we're talking about is that we are connected to resources. So we really, I love the interprofessional example of, I mean, having a good relationship with the pharmacist is so important, but we know these resources. We know uh, the programs that are out there that we can get people connected into so that they can have access. Because if you're making a decision whether or not to be able to provide dinner for your family, to, to be able to buy food over medication- uh, that's that's a hard decision, right? And we really try to connect people with resources because there are resources and programs out there, and not not many people know what
0: they are. And nurse practitioners do that really well. Yes, yes. I think in the past you have said that being a uh, nurse practitioner is more than a job; it's a calling. I believe that is a very kind of true statement. You might want to talk about that more. But the U.S. News uh, and uh, has announced that nurse practitioners have the best jobs for helping people, and uh, I think those two things feed together.
1: Definitely, and you know it's. And then you've heard uh, many nurses say this that it's a calling, but. I would take it one step further. It is an absolute honor to be able to serve other people and help them. And certainly um, my being my background, being in the ICU, I absolutely love speaking with patients and families at a time that was really quite scary being in the ICU and helping them get through that process and better understand what all this was that was happening um, but that's it's it's a true honor to be able to serve other people and to be able to help them feel better uh, and get along their way, or to help them get through difficult situations. If it might be grieving, it might be uh, spending time with a loved one in hospice or palliative care. Um, but we are very uh, focused on that. That's really the philosophy of nursing. So you brought up the U.S. News and World Report. Um, you know, for the second year in a row nurse practitioner has been the number one job in healthcare. Mm-hmm. And a lot goes into that. But it does show that we are definitely stepping up to meet great needs in terms of health equity and access to care. But I was surprised I hadn't really been as tuned in to this other ranking. Uh, the US News and Report World Report um, jobs that help people. Mm-hmm. And we are the number one job that helps people. And When you think about the very essence of a nurse, of a nurse practitioner, a nurse in any, uh, we have so many pathways we can take, that's the core of what they do is help others and figure it out. I tell you what, there are lots of nurses and nurse practitioners out there, you included, where figure out how to get healthcare and and how to make it happen. And we saw that throughout the pandemic, um, nothing was going to stop us from being able to get Healthcare to those who needed it, and we were figuring things out. We were innovating and creating and making sure that people had access to what they needed.
0: Yes, and I, I think the innovation I, I think about that is is if, how do you work around a system, perhaps? That and I think during COVID that was extremely difficult because everyone was scared and frightened, and so many times patients were isolated. Um, how, how could we help a patient communicate with their family when they couldn't come in and visit? I, uh, I know nurses and nurse practitioners picked up the phone and connected with a family member. Um, certainly, there's nothing like being able to be in the room, but at least someone could hear their um, spouse or their child.
1: Mm, their voice. Yeah.
0: Yes and uh, what what that meant to to the patient to have that connection because and of,
1: that that's just as important it's just as important as the medication is having knowing how important you know, having that support that psychosocial support is so important
0: and i know nurses made a difference too in the hospital when uh, you know there were no visitors but maybe this patient was not doing well and was not going to make it they found a space, a room to put a patient in mm-hmm. and basically sneak the family up <laughs> to have those final, final moments that were that yeah. so important. and,
1: and so, so important. It is. And, and nurses too. I mean, nurse practitioners, we need to take care of our own mental health too. These times have been really challenging. So it's important that we also take time to grieve and, and take care of ourselves. So that we can continue to provide the very best care,,
0: mm-hmm. and I think that's something that that nurse practitioners and nurses sometimes don't do the best job, but i <laughs> I do think, like organizations like a and p really try to have programs to help people focus on I need to take care of my self first before I can provide continue to provide care to my patients. so so I think one of the other, and we've we've really been. Uh, discussing, but I, and we've touched on this just a little bit, but um, how does the NP profession do in terms of representation? And when we talk about healthcare disparities of, of reaching out to, to different populations, does the NP workforce reflect the wider population in terms of race, ethnicity, and gender? And what can we be done to get closer to parity on this?
1: Well, you know what? I don't think we're doing the best job. I think we can do a lot better. Um, We are predominantly a female profession. We need more men in nursing, uh, more men in nurse practitioners. We need a more diverse uh, workforce all around. But that really starts young um, and getting uh, students and elementary, middle school students, high school students, to to know that this is a possible career path. Mm-hmm. And I recently had a great discussion with um, Dr. Dwayne Aline and he works at the University of South Carolina and he talks about, I mean, his focus is recruitment, uh, minority recruitment. And he goes to schools and he speaks to people and says, you can do what I do. This is what you can do and this is how you can get there. And if if money is a barrier here are resources in terms of scholarships and grants. If you thought that you couldn't do it, let me tell you my story. But we do need to diversify our workforce. That is really, that is a big factor when it comes to building that patient-provider trust. Now, for uh, let's just say, we can do it, but it takes longer if you don't speak the language, if you don't understand the culture, if you don't have the same background, it does take longer. And so that's really important for us to work hard at diversifying our workforce.
0: Right. And one of, one of the concepts I think now that are happening in a lot of schools is what we call open open enrollment, where it isn't just a person's grades, it isn't just their test scores, but it's a whole factor of what you're looking at a stu- a potential student in nursing or nurse practitioner school that we need to have looking at broader aspects so that more minority students um, can be admitted. And, right.
1: Yeah. And it's Minority Healthcare Month. And I think this is a perfect time to really focus on the fact that I mentioned uh Dwayne having that conversation with him the other day. We talked specifically about African American men and perspectives on healthcare. And uh, you know this is important to understand the different perspectives. I had a great conversation with Dr. uh Charles Bushamy. Um he's in Miami and we talked specifically about Latino the Latino community and um, how their perspective is around healthcare. I mentioned earlier, um, Hawaiian, the Hawaiian culture. Um, you are have a lot of indigenous populations there in Wyoming. Um, it's very important uh, to understand the perspective, the culture, the approach to healthcare, and to understand, okay, how does healthcare, how's it thought about, how's it woven in to everything that we do
0: Yes. And I, so we, I I agree. I think we have a lot of work to do. I do think we have the beginnings of improving that we have made some progress. I think men in nursing, we've had some small increases and certainly I think in the nurse practitioner field, we, we have done um, fairly well, but, (laughs) but, but but as you said, much, much room for improvement, but I, I do think that faculty and admission programs have been looking at this and, 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 and that is key, but also getting down to the, to the grade school level of talking about mm. in schools of what, what nurse practitioners do and what that's like. And, and, uh, all, and and then as students progress, if they're interested is there's help for you, if you really, you know, right. That, right. Yeah. So I would say this is work in progress, but I'm, I'm pleased to see what's, um, um, going on. Um, right. our nurse pack, are some nurse practitioner jobs going unfilled and why might that be? Do you see that?
1: Well, we are in a great, and great demand and it, a lot of times it depends on, uh, the setting, uh, does it match your education and training, your board certification, Um, We do see um, in in some states where there are a lot of restrictions and there are some financial barriers to setting up a practice in your home community uh, that that can be a barrier. So we do see some uh, areas have jobs that are still open um, and, and, and we're trying to fill them. We're trying to get more people to go into nursing, more into nurse practitioners across all of the different specialties. Uh, so that we can absolutely fill those jobs.
0: I think another issue might be here. Um, there are We've made great progress in states with full practice authority. But mm-hmm. We still have states that there have to be collaborative agreements or even supervision by physicians. And I think that as we see states that gain full practice authority, I think there are less barriers to, to practice.
1: Right. There's 27 states now in DC and two territories where nurse practitioners can practice to the full extent of their education and training. But there are still some states that have a lot of restrictions. and if you're a nurse practitioner and you're working in a rural community and um, you are to have a contract um, and there's some different requirements with that. Maybe it's an on-site visit. maybe it's regular chart review. There's fees associated with that. Um, let's just say you're, and this happens quite a bit, your physician that you're contracted with retires or moves. Well, you have to close your practice until you can find another one. And and it has to be affordable. Um, Many of our nurse practitioners are seeing patients that are uninsured. They're seeing patients with Medicare and Medicaid. Um, Everything that they make is going back into that practice. So to have to spend a lot of extra money on those site visits and things like that that are really unnecessary, um, doesn't make a lot of sense. And we've got 50 plus years of evidence that show that we provide high quality care, that we're very collaborative, that we coordinate care extremely well. Um, we don't hesitate to pick up the phone and, and call um, our uh, colleagues that have expertise. I wouldn't hesitate to pick up the phone and call you, Mary, um, if I had a patient and needed to um, get your guidance on. So um, we have shown we provide high quality and very safe and effective care. We're educated and trained to do it. We have national accreditation and standards for education and training. Um, It uh, is only, um, you know, only a matter of time to where all states will see that they need to open up full and direct access to NP care. We all need to be out there uh, providing uh, the very best care.
0: When we talk about having to pay, say a physician, to go over charts or it just adds another layer and when you're talking about and I think you pointed that out that so many times nurse practitioners are taking care of patients that may not have insurance and and you're already kind of on that fine edge of of uh what you can make t- to sort of uh, make ends meet in a in a practice is is difficult so I'm optimistic though that this may
1: change. We have a lot of momentum. We're following those states that moved to FPA. We're seeing in those states increase in workforce, more NPs working across all settings, particularly in historically known provider shortage areas. We're seeing improvements in patient care outcomes. So we'll get there. We have momentum. Um, It just takes a while. Let me give you an example, uh, Mary, Arizona. So, just down from you, uh, not a couple states away, Arizona, they uh, moved to uh, full practice authority um, several years ago. But five years after they went to FPA, they saw a 50% increase in their workforce. They saw a 70% increase in NPs working in historically known provider shortage areas. They moved up significantly on the list in terms of overall health outcomes uh, for their state. Uh, We saw that in Nebraska, in Nevada. So it's very important to follow these states and uh, very important to note that every state that's gone to FPA has not gone back.
0: Wyoming was a very early on. Yeah, early on.
1: That's right. (laughs) Definitely trailblazers in Wyoming, uh,
0: just really leading the way. Well, I think what was interesting because I was involved somewhat in the legislative process, and um, our legislators, a lot of them are ranchers, um, mm-hmm. and and they knew that their only care provider was a nurse practitioner, so that was a, that was a big help uh, as we moved uh, for full practice authority.
1: Yeah, some great stories there. I. Uh, met with the Montana Nurses Association not too long ago. I, I'm, I don't know if you know Marie Osborne, and she, yeah, yes, so she was the first NP licensed NP uh, there in Idaho, and, and started a, a medical practice in kind of a rural area. And so much respect. Um, medical students go down, went down and trained with her. Nursing students went down and trained with medics. Um, but we um, see that NPs are really pillars of the communities.
0: Those are great stories. So some of our listeners may not know that our founder of Nurse Practitioner Movement was Dr. Uh, Loretta Ford and amazing, amazing woman. But uh, she turned uh, 102, which Mm -hmm. (laughs) she's a very active. uh, Yes, she is. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and feisty. Uh, I think that that probably is a tribute to, to her being the founding mother. Um, but because of COVID, we had to sort of delay some celebrations. And so her, her birthday, and actually it's going to be a specialty at the university of Tampa in May. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to participating in that. But um, I think our listeners might be interested to know that that NP movement grew out of the university of Colorado in 19. Right. Yeah. And, so yeah. Uh, it it very special. I think uh, certainly the issue where how how do you reach people in rural areas in Colorado to provide care and and uh, Dr. Ford really knew that was a problem and was able to convince think about the educational you know at the University of Colorado that we needed to try something new.
1: Yeah. And she did in such a wonderful way. Um, I am excited about it's Tea with Lee, Dr. Uh, Loretta Ford in in May. And and by the way, thank you. I know you're sponsoring some um, different NPs to be able to go down as well um, and celebrate. And um, not too long ago, um, there are a group of nurses in San Antonio, uh, the Nurses Care Hub. They um held a Facebook live event. I'm learning all this stuff in social media. But it was with Dr. Ford. And so I was able to interview her uh, uh-huh. on that Facebook Live event. And I've had several conversations with her, but you're absolutely right. And she has a wonderful memory. She has so many words of wisdom. And throughout that interview, I, I kept having to like kind of pick my jaw back up off the floor because she would say these amazing, profound things. But she's telling about nursing in the early 1900s and how it was evolving. And she's telling the story about in the early 1960s, she was a pediatric nurse and working with a pediatrician, Henry Silver, and they needed to get health care out to the children and families across the you know mountainous vast areas of colorado and felt strongly that nurses could do this with advanced education and training and you know had these conversations discussed with so many and we really began to see the launch of the nurse practitioner profession and and, and now here we are today where we have national national standards for education and training But I did remember, and and during that conversation, I asked her, I said, you know, we talked about everything and I said, well, do you have any pearls of wisdom that you can share with us? I mean, this is me. I'm just awestruck the whole time. Everything she was saying was just so amazing and wonderful and so open. And she's just kind and compassionate and smart and feisty. And she will tell you exactly what she thinks. Um, But she I said, you know, do you have any pearls of wisdom for us? And she said, yes. And she said, that is to listen. She Mm -hmm. said to listen, to listen to your patients and their families, but to listen to others, to listen to legislators, to listen to people and their conversations and their perspectives, that we can gain and learn so much and get so much further if we listen
0: mm-hmm. and what wise words those are mm-hmm. yes.
1: and you think about her she's a very good listener isn't she and has been so diplomatic throughout the years mm-hmm.
0: so uh i i think it's going to be a very special event in in tampa in fact i think there, are, there are a group of uh, nurses, uh, nurse practitioners, actually working on a book of quote uh, quotes of hers, mm-hmm. and so I think that is going to be key as as we keep our history because I think as our younger nurse practitioners uh, come in through their educational process, I think th- this will be helpful for them to understand, you know, where we started and and how strong our early leader.
1: Yeah, so amazing, yeah. powerful lady.
0: So our time probably is is coming to to a close here in this uh, wonderful conversation we've been having. But um, I think, would you be able to share a call to action for our listeners that ties in with the future direction of the nurse practitioner profession?
1: Yes, I'd be happy to. I love speaking with nurse practitioners, but I think if I could say anything to nurse practitioners that might be listening out there is know who you are and stand on your experiences and your backgrounds. Whether you have a year of experience or 40 years of experience, know who you are and what your contributions are. They're so powerful. Be who you are and continually demonstrate and and represent our profession. And that's through practice, It's through education, continually educating ourselves, but our patients, others. It's through advocacy for our patients in all settings, making sure healthcare is accessible to everyone everywhere. We always don't, we don't mention research a lot, so important, research to continually bring that new knowledge to the bedside that our practices are evidence-based and to lead. Every nurse practitioner leads in so many ways. So that's the big acronym, PEARL, P-E-A-R-L that we use so often. But that would be my call to action is to really stand on where you are and excel in each one of those areas.
0: So maybe we can share with our audience that that are are not uh, nurse practitioners or nurses what what PEARL means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So PEARL, P, practice so much in terms of practice, that that's so important. And one of the things our organization does is is make sure that we have a lot of practice tools and what we need to do to provide the very best care. The E is education. The A is advocacy for our patients, for the profession, for access to care. The R is for research and how important it is for us to continually bring new knowledge to what we do in healthcare and the l is for leadership uh, so much uh, we do to lead in every every aspect and every everything we do today so that's the pearl acronym
0: thank you that 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 was beautiful i think that nurse practitioners have filled the gap in so many areas of health care, whether it's rural or um, in in high-density areas uh, where nobody has access to care. Just let's take the south side of Chicago when you look at where are all the hospitals in Chicago. They're in the areas where it's much more affluent. And nurse practitioners tend to practice in areas that they've filled the gap of where people have no access to care. And I think nurses have been, and nurse practitioners have been extremely creative in, if they can't, um, if the clinic is too far, they've actually gone to where where the patient is. And so whether it's in the grocery store or, Another place, a gathering place, um, they are there to to provide that that primary care that's that's been missing. and and that is to me key um, to what I think our strength has been. And you've mentioned over and over again, I do think nurses practitioners know how to listen and then, Speak at the level of where the patient is at. I think sometimes medical people, and I've certainly been guilty of it, sometime having a conversation where you're sort of using all sorts of medical terms. But I believe that nurse practitioners can bring it down to a level to help everyone understand where they're at, and and make them feel comfortable so they can share what what is really uh, really bothering them, and then. Go find some answers or help them solve their problems. So, um, I just feel very strongly that we've we've gone into an area that we are filling a gap that is, and and we have more to do in that regard. We're, we're, we've done a great job, but we have more to do, and I think um, uh, we're we're headed in the right direction.
1: Definitely agree. Very well said.
0: So, um, April, Kapoo <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you join us today. I want to thank you um, for all that you've been able to share with us. And uh, I hope to see you uh, this November at our caucus, which will uh, be coming up sooner than we know.
1: Right. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mary. It's been a pleasure to spend some time with you today. and talk a little bit more about so many important issues. I am also looking forward to the caucus in November and hope that I'll be able to attend alongside you and others um, as it will be here uh, very soon. It'll be right around the corner, but thank you. It's been such a great conversation. We've got come a long way, but we still have a long way to go in making sure healthcare is accessible for everyone, everywhere, in every community. Goodbye, and thank you so much for having me today. It's been a pleasure.
0: So um, I want to thank our listeners for joining us today and for making the Health Disparities one of the world's leading health equity podcasts. We'll be with you again in a couple weeks, and until then, it's goodbye for now. Be safe and be well. Copyright Movement is Life. 2023.